And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers clinching the top seed in the Eastern Conference after their win over the Magic, doing so for the first time in 20 years. We give a quick recap over what games to pay attention to this weekend, which will be critical in playoff seeding, and we then go over our biggest surprises, both positive and negative, in this Sixers season. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Took a little while, a couple of false starts along the way, way Rich, but they it, it is over. The Sixers have won the Eastern. No, Sixers are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference after a 122 to 97 win over the dreadful Orlando Magic, clinches them the number one seed over both the Nets and the Bucks. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's been a while. It's been 20 years. Yeah. Since that, you could say the Sixers are the top team in the Eastern Conference, and yeah, it didn't come in that pretty of a fashion. I would say, you know, they had a tough week this week with those losses in Indiana and Miami. But I think, you know, after they had that eight game winning streak, we were saying it's over because they had these two games against Orlando, who stinks, and. Um, they took care of business. So to you know, be and fair, I, think, I thought it was over because I figured they would at least put up a chance against Pacers and the and the Heat too. I didn't necessarily think it would get to these these last two games, but they were two games that they had in the bag as well. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I look at it a couple of ways. I think the the main thing is, you know, the, the Sixers. There wasn't any on court celebration for that after last night's game. I don't think there was even like an acknowledgement on the scoreboard that they had clinched the the number one seed, and that is because they know they're going to be judged on the playoffs mm-hmm. and all of the good vibes that uh, they have now, vibes, keyword there, um, they're, they're, they're going to be gone if they're out of the playoffs in three weeks. So, you know, I think this team understands that they need to do more, but I, I thought Doc Rivers put it pretty well. It's like, it's not what we want, but it's something you get along the way. To what you want, and, yeah, and uh, it's it's something that is it's, is yeah, it's good. crucial and beneficial towards getting you to what you want. So yeah, it's a it, but you know it, it is an accomplishment as well. Like this is not a team like you said first time in twenty years, and that one time they did it twenty years ago with Iverson was I mean it's not like that was a regular occurrence. It's only the second time this has happened in the last thirty years. A lot of people listening to this podcast have only maybe seen this happen once. Uh, if you're Sixers Adam, you haven't even really seen it happen at all because you were too young for that. <laughs> so uh, I was I was on the radio today and Tyrone Johnson told me he was like, this is a little before your time. But, you know, Raja Bell during the 01 run, I was before my time. Are you kidding me? It was probably I, my, the height of my Sixers fandom. Yeah, I was at some of those games. So, yeah, it's it's been a minute. Uh, let's see. Uh, even if you should just take a step back, you know, they won 67 percent of their games. Well, 
depending on what happens in the final game of the regular season. So far, they've won 67% of their games in the regular season. The last time they did that, again, obviously they did that in 2000-2001, won 68%. Before that, you have to go all the way back to the Moses era. And actually, the pre-Moses era, the uh, 1981-82. No, 82-83. Yeah, Moses era. I, I can't. I'm, I'm way off my game. Um, Where they won 79%. So this, they do not win this many regular season games all that often. Like you said, it's not going to matter if they bow out in the second round of the playoffs. And we'll get to that in a minute. It's not going to matter if, quite frankly, if they don't make an NBA Finals, probably. I don't think many people are going to look at the season as a huge success. But they are a quality of team that we just don't see all that often. They have put themselves in a position where they are legitimate contenders to win the Eastern Conference. We can't say that all that often. We shouldn't lose sight of the fact of how good of a season they have had. You know, it was uh, the, the the path at the end there was a little not quite as linear as I think we would have hoped for. Uh, but there that's, are some, but so that's some, the regular season. That is the regular, there's well, there's ups and downs. Fucking crazy ass COVID regular season. Yep. Um, you know, they, they had a very good regular season that took care of business more often than not. And it's a little bit of a shame that it comes on the heels of that Miami game, which was just dreadful, just absolutely dreadful. And I think, <laughs> I mean, the, the effort, forget oh, so about bad. Miami making shots or some execution or some strategy. The effort was just terrible uh, in a way that you don't really see all that often. And I really wondered whether or not playing Embiid, because Embiid looked like he was playing at like 30% capacity. If you're going to do match. that, don't play Embiid. Right. It, it didn't look like oh, he was well. ready to go, but he came out against Orlando, looked like his dominant self. Um, so it, no worse for the wear at all. Um, yeah, just a, a real good win over a dreadful Orlando team to take care of business and put them in the top seat. So where they are right now, uh, they still have, there's both Denver and the Clippers have 47 wins. Sixers have 48. Um, so that could come into play if either of those teams and the Sixers make it to an NBA Finals. Uh, now, from what I understand, the in a multi-team, now if the Sixers and just, if it's just two teams, Sixers and Nuggets uh, tie, then the Sixers lose that tiebreaker because the Nuggets took both games. Same thing with the Clippers. Um, Clippers have the individual tiebreaker over the Sixers. If it's a multi-team tie, first tiebreaker goes to the, uh, if any of the teams are a division winner. Sixers are the only division winner among that group. So if it's a three-team tie, the Sixers should be good to go. If two of those teams tie, they're not. So there is still technically something to play for depending on what happens. I don't even know if the Nuggets and the Clippers play today. I probably should have looked that up. Uh, but if, depending on if those two teams are still tied when the Sixers play on Sunday, the Sixers could theoretically still have something to play for. I have a feeling Doc is going to err on a side of rest uh, and, and making sure everyone is healthy because that tiebreaker doesn't matter unless you win three rounds in the playoffs, which you don't want to take for granted. But it is something to at least consider when they play that second game against Orlando here in... Uh, you know, tomorrow. Um, and quite frankly, they should be able to beat Orlando with 10 minutes of Joel Embiid. With Joel Embiid sitting, um, they should be able to take care of that team. So you should be able to win that tiebreaker, get your 49th win, and none of that matters. I, I might play Embiid for a half in that game. I, I know that's probably unpopular, and I, I don't think I would... Um... I, I don't think I'm going to come down too hard on the Sixers if they err on the side of caution with that. And I, if I were betting right now, I don't think he's going to play tomorrow i think very few players are going to play tomorrow um you know it could be a game where b-ball paul is is holding up the wilt chamberlain 100 sign because he, he takes that many shots um isaiah joe could be like a 33 game for tyrese maxi was built for this game yeah i 
I don't know if it's just that the Sixers play a lot of blowouts and the bench gets to extend the lead. Sometimes, sometimes they don't. But in the games where the bench does extend the lead, they have that third shift of mop up duty. I don't know if that just makes the Sixers rookies look a little better, but I'm I'm digging all three of those guys right now. Uh Maxie Joe and, and Paul Reed. I don't know. They they have a chance to be rotation players, all of them. Um so yeah, but I might play Embiid though. And the starters just not only to get that potential home court advantage in the NBA finals, but they're going to be off for a week here. Yep. You know, I I don't know. Is it going to be, and and this isn't a back-to-back and and they're staying in Philadelphia. So like if they were up to it, I'd say, guys, let's treat it like, you know, the third or second preseason game of the NFL season where I want you to play for a half and then we're going to take you out regardless of what happens. And I think if they play for a half, there's a good chance they're up by 20 to 25 points and they win the game. They don't play that much and they still stay somewhat in rhythm. I think this week is going to be very important how they lay it out for the Sixers because, like you said, they, they did not play very well against the uh, the Heat and the Pacers. They need to get their defense back up to their, uh, their normal level. I, I think Doc is right in pointing out that they've played a lot of bad teams and that uh, there's been some natural let up on that end of the floor. Um, so two things I have. The, the first is home court advantage. Looked it up on Stat Muse last night. The Sixers, since Embiid and Simmons started playing. Yeah, they win all their games. 2017-18. They are 120 and 32 at Wells Fargo Center during that time. They're 28 and 7 this year, which is the best record in the Eastern Conference. And that feels like a let up a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, you know, this was a season it started. Wells Fargo Center before Christmas, completely empty except for, you know, the front office and the the staff and us. And now in a couple of weeks, they're going to have 10,000 people in that building. I, I think this season is reinforced, though. Regardless of who is on the team besides Embiid and Simmons, it doesn't matter how many people are in the building, what, what that is. They win yeah. in that building. And, you know, Embiid made the comment two seasons ago that he wanted 60 wins in the number one seed. That was driven by the fact that I think everybody in that organization thought if we played Toronto at home in that game seven, yeah. we would have won. And who knows if they're right, but I, I mean, I, you know, they came pretty close on the road where they're much worse. So I don't know. So that's a good thing. Just about as close as you can get, which we don't need to talk about because that anniversary just came by. Um, if you saw that on Twitter, the shot, I apologize. I don't apologize because I didn't tweet it out, but. <laughs> I, I understand if that could have been a, given you a little bit of PTSD there. Let, let me ask you one philosophical question before we get going. And again, I, I cannot emphasize enough. We get it that the playoffs are what they're going to be judged on. I look in a couple of weeks, we, we will have, we will have forgotten it if they lose to Miami in the second round or something like that. But nine months ago, I think we, and pretty much everybody else, we're wondering if this core had reached the end of the road. Yeah. And where they went from here. Now they made some tweaks to the roster. They made some tweaks, big tweaks to the coaching staff, big tweaks to the front office, but like kept the three core players, Tobias, Ben, Joe. Yeah. It, I don't know. It, it, it feels like they changed the conversation a little bit. I, I would say almost regardless of what happens in the playoffs, where mm, go ahead, I'm sorry. 
Well, no, I- I'm just saying like th- they didn't look like they were ever going to be a contender again. I thought like last year. Now, will Ben get traded if he stinks in the playoffs? Maybe. But like this core, I think, has changed the conversation a little bit about what they are capable of. Now, will they be able to accomplish it in the playoffs? I'm not sure. But but I will say from like nine months ago, I feel like the conversation has changed a little bit about this group. That looks more like a down year, a little bit more of an anomaly. I would say maybe nationally uh, in terms of, but I think people following this team, like I, if, if you watch that, that that team that lost to Toronto and thought that a Simmons and Bede core couldn't at least be a fringe contender, a borderline contender. Then I yeah, but they yeah, but they we're talking about last year when they didn't have the guy who was their best right, offense. But player. I'm saying like as a core, you know, I think Embiid, Simmons, and Harris. I thought people thought they could get better. If if your premise is that they needed somebody else in that trio better than Tobias Harris. Um, to be a contender, then yeah, maybe that conversation was there. Uh, that, that's probably fair. Um, I do still think that that conversation comes back up in a second if Ben Simmons has a playoff series where he averages 10 points in a half court and disappears. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, I think this trio achieved more than most people would have expected in the regular season. I think that's 100% fair. Then probably yeah. more than I expected them to be able to achieve too. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I was wondering nine months ago, when were we going to have the conversation about breaking up the court? Well, was I mean, it going to be in the middle? Was it going to be in the with the James Harden trade? Sure, but I, I think that's a different circumstance where that that was an opportunity to upgrade. Where I was wondering if we were going to have that conversation out of necessity, like this yeah. is the seven seed, this is the yeah. six seed. You have teams like Boston and Miami and all of these teams that are just so far ahead of them; it's a joke. And, and they they have certainly changed that bit of the uh, of the conversation now. Look, I and I cannot emphasize this enough. If they suck in the playoffs, we are going to have some hard conversations in in a few weeks. But I I think they have. I, I thought they were going to be pretty good in this regular season. Like I think we predicted, like fourth seed, third seed, something like that. They have exceeded my expectations in this regular season for sure. For sure. Um, where was I going to go? Lost my train of thought. Um. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, obviously, a big part of changing those that conversation is the step that Embiid took. Uh, I think that gives people a lot more confidence that you're looking at a legitimate contender and not just a really good regular season team. But you do have to see that, like, like we mentioned with Simmons, Embiid struggles in the second round offensively get overshadowed at times because Simmons is such a a lightning rod player. We need to see, and I think I think Joel will succeed in the playoffs. I think he's healthy coming in the playoffs for really the first time in his career. I think his the the diversity he's added to his game is going to help him against the defenses he will see. It doesn't help that we just saw him against Miami, which is maybe of all the teams in the playoffs, the team best equipped to defend him right now. Uh, that being said, that was a terrible off night from not only Embiid but the Sixers. So we'll see how that plays out when they actually have they actually look like they're running at 100 percent energy and they they have time a chance to game plan for him. Um, but I think a lot of that optimism comes from the step that Embiid took. And I think a lot of that optimism could be dashed in a second if the team or any of the specific core three struggle the way that they have in pre- previous playoffs. Um, all three of those players, Tobias, Simmons, Embiid, all three of them have to prove it in the playoffs. And we will get to that, obviously, here over the next couple of weeks. They'll have a chance to change that narrative, which is uh, honestly, I hope they play um, not in terms of their odds to advance to the playoffs, because I do think 
Miami is far and away. And we had the podcast on this where we ranked them a couple weeks ago. I that held they, up well. Yeah, it did hold up well. I think Miami is far and away the most dangerous team they could meet in the second round. I think they're the team best equipped, and that includes the the Bucks and the Nets. Now, obviously, the Bucks and Nets are bigger threats because of what they can do offensively, but I think they are the team best equipped to defend Embiid. That held up well as well. So I it, honestly, I sort and also I think this is where Ben Simmons has a chance to change a narrative. Uh, like we just got got done talking about. Joel Embiid and how he's changed the narrative around him and and the team. I think a series against Miami is a chance where Ben Simmons has a chance to change the narrative around himself, not only because he has a chance to defend Jimmy Butler and really make an imprint on the series in that regard. You know, but what we saw here the other night when the Sixers played the Heat, Miami was real aggressive fronting Joel. They'd use non-shooters, specifically Simmons, uh, Simmons' man, to come over and provide some help on the backside. They need to find a way to make it so Ben Simmons shooting doesn't hurt them in the half court. And that's a team that is good at capitalizing on Simmons lack of shooting and has the pieces to to defend them. If Simmons can find a way to be a threat in the half court against that team, he can help change the narrative on the offensive side, too. I have a lot of confidence that if Doc puts him on Jimmy Butler, which we can get into here in a second, that I think Simmons is going to do real well defensively against Butler. And if they do that for all of Miami's success the other night, like they're not a good enough offensive team to play as well as they did in the, in the first half. So I have, I have confidence in Simmons establishing a narrative defensively that will help him. A little less confident in him succeeding against Miami's defense, and that's where the big concern would be. I guess we could just pivot right into that, because when you start looking at how the playoffs could shake out, and again, a lot of teams here still have two games left to play. You have uh, the Hawks in the fourth seed at 40 and 31. The Heat in the five seed are tied for the fifth seed with the Knicks at 39 and 31. Uh, you have the Nets. Are Nets have the Bulls tonight? Yeah, Bulls. Bulls this afternoon. Uh, we're recording this right before the uh, Nets Bulls game, and then the Bucks play the Heat later in the night. Now, if the Nets beat um, the Bulls, they have the Cavs to close it out. You figure they're going to win both of those games. You wonder then how much if 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 the Nets win both those games, they're going to finish ahead of the Bucks. So how much incentive do the Bucks have to play against Miami? Well, then if Miami wins that game, they're almost guaranteed, or they are guaranteed, I think. I have to look at the tiebreaker. Um, but if they win both their games, I'm pretty sure they're guaranteed to end up with a four or five seed. I think they have the tiebreaker over the Knicks. So that means the Sixers could theoretically be lined up with playing the Heat in the second round, which would just be fascinating. I'd love to see that matchup. The storylines galore would be there. The matchups, just the X's and O's basketball matchup would be fun to watch, but it would be a threat. It would be a tough series for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. It wouldn't be the easy road that we have described 
which all due respect to the Buck or sorry to the Hawks and the Knicks, it, those feel like easier teams. And you know, I, I do think like you don't want to take too much away from that uh, from that game the other night. The Sixers just didn't have it, and Bede still looked sick. Doc did not put Simmons on Butler, which is such a no brainer. Like. To have Ben Simmons chasing around Duncan Robinson, which might have been the right call considering Danny Green, who who has played really well for this team, is a little bit problematic if you have to find a a defender to chase an elite off-ball mover like Duncan Robinson. He just is not good at it, like Doug McDermott was leaving him in the dust earlier that week. You have to find a way to get Simmons on Butler because he has done a really good job at times. And I, I think within what you said there, you summed up my original point about what this season has been. Ben Simmons has a chance to change the narrative. The Sixers have a chance to change the narrative. I think that earlier in the season, nine months ago when they got kicked out of the bubble, I'm not sure if they were going to ever have that. I wasn't sure they were ever going to have that chance again. So that that is what has been cool about this regular season. But yeah, I think Miami, what scares you most about that game is not Jimmy Butler making four threes in the first quarter, which is just, you know, it's ridiculous. He just is, a shoot. It, it is amazing. He doesn't shoot. He made three threes in his previous months of games. It's not just like we we talk about when he went that month month without shooting threes, which he did with the Sixers and like a spot up three. He just turned down at every opportunity, every time, which is tough because like you've got Joel Embiid, you want to space the floor. He doesn't shoot threes with Miami either, and for him to come out and knock down. What, three or four of them in the first four. quarter. It was just amazing. It was mind-boggling. Four threes in the first quarter. Hadn't made three in a game the whole season. Just ridiculous. So that's not going to continue. But what worries you a little bit is the Sixers look like dog shit against that Miami zone. And, and like you said, Miami, it, it looked like last season's offense and that it was really hard to get Joel and beat the ball in good position. Now, I don't know how much of that was just Embiid kind of dogging it. I'm going to be honest, like his rebounding was pathetic in that game. Just Bam Adebayo jumping over him time and again. And on the offensive end, not fighting for position either. But, you know, Eric Spolstra helping off non-shooters, like, you know, I brought up the point that if you wanted to put Simmons on Butler, it's like, all right, well, let's put Thibel in to guard uh, Duncan Robinson. Whew, man, on, on offense, that could be very tricky against Miami with their ability to help. I just, I didn't think the Sixers handled their, uh, like Embiid getting doubled well at all. It wasn't even a a matter of, you know, Embiid swing the ball to the opposite corner to like a wide open, Thibel didn't play, but like a wide open shooter and then bricking shots. They weren't getting anything on the weak side that was good. So it was, I mean, it was a very impressive performance by, uh, by Miami. And like, I, I think there is some pushback from people of, Oh, well, the Sixers, they shouldn't be afraid of anybody because they're the number one seed. They need to act like it. And fine. Like, I, if they were to play Miami in a series, I, I think it would be pretty competitive, is, is all I am saying. And it's, yeah. it's going to be a little bit harder uh, than maybe a lot of bit harder than playing against uh, and would the, the I Knicks make the Sixers the favorite? Yeah. I think I probably would. Yeah. But you're talking 60 40. Maybe if I'm having a positive day, 65 35. Maybe if a negative day, 55 45. You're not talking 80-20, I don't think. I think Miami is going to put up a real good fight. I don't think they have the offensive firepower, especially with how well the Sixers can defend Jimmy Butler, theoretically, to um, to to win the series, or at least to be favorites in the series. 
but they are a real good team defensively that matches up real well with Embiid, relatively speaking, um, defending him. It would be, it would be, and I, I mean, Spolster is an amazing coach. Uh, so you add those, all those elements together, they are a threat. Again, Sixers should be the favorite. You should be frustrated if they lose that series, but it would be a threat. Um, I, I think that loss is probably a good thing in the long run. Where the Sixers, they they had been playing bad teams and sometimes blowing them out, sometimes skating by. But they they had been playing non NBA competition for too long, and it's yeah. not their fault. Like the, the hard part of their schedule was done. They they had all of these bad teams that that were injured and or, or had COVID or whatever. Which again, that's that's not their fault. But but they their their level of play had dropped a little bit. Because they had played bad teams, so you know a- after three weeks of that, they got their ass kicked by Miami. That's not not the worst thing in the world. No. All right, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit here. We will do some. You know, there's a, a whole lot of still up in the air, uh, so we don't want to speculate too much. Um, I think the I don't even want to go over. I was trying to calculate three team tiebreakers between Knicks, Hawks, and Heat, uh, and my head started to explode. Um, so Miami has the tiebreaker. They took all three over the Knicks. They would not have the tiebreaker. So if the Miami and um, the Knicks finished in a two-team tie, Miami would finish ahead of the Knicks. If Miami and the Hawks finished in a two-team tie, Miami would finish below the Hawks because they, they uh, the Hawks took two out of three. But if you start getting into three-team ties... Uh, I think it's Miami is the five seed. I think I think Atlanta wins the division, well, my, my, and then it turns into Miami and New York, two-teamer. Well, my, oh, so Atlanta is a division winner? Yep. Okay. Um, because the... yeah. Yeah, because when you start going a three-team, it's a common record between the three is one of them. And I think the Hawks, or the Knicks and the Heat both had a three-and-three three record. It, who cares? Um, Look, we'll, if, we'll if Miami fit. wins out, I'm but, pretty sure they're, they're the five seed. And by the way, if I were the Bucks, they will know by the time they tip their game tonight if Brooklyn had won that game. I understand they want the two seed. That would be nice. they play an easier first-round team. If Brooklyn wins, and they're probably going to win, they're playing the Bulls, I'm sorry, you you pack it in. You don't try in that game if you think the Knicks are a much easier opponent. You just do like like Giannis, Drew, play with the kids. Go, yeah. You know, do not show up at the game tonight because like Brooklyn's going to beat Cleveland tomorrow. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so we will by the time we record the next podcast, we will know for sure. Uh, but there is a lot still up in the air. Uh, first round opponents going to take a little longer because you have to play in tournament. But um, all of those teams, with the exception of the Wizards, Wizards who are still hanging in there in the 10th seed, have been playing some good basketball. But, I mean, the Hornets, the Pacers, not worried about either of those teams, despite what happened the other night. And the Celtics without Jalen Brown, not much of a threat either. So those teams should be no real concern. So let's take a step back, talk about the season as a whole. Um, Don't want to go through the entire preseason predictions or that, because quite frankly, we didn't prepare for that. But just overall, <laughs> I mean, if we're going to be honest, uh, it would be interesting to go back and look at what we said before a season, see what came out to be true. Um, but I don't think we did so much like numbers predictions that were easily verifiable. It was more like um, discussion points. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So just we're going to go through some things that surprised us, good and bad, for both the team as a whole and then a specific uh, player. So we'll start off with the team. Rich, what surprised you from the Sixers as a whole uh, as um, in, in a positive way this year? I'm going to, I'm going to go with two things. The first is that after making these moves, I mean, Danny Green and Seth Curry, the two big moves with the main roster, 
shipping out Horford and Richardson, those are offensive-based moves. Those mm-hmm. are Ben and Joe need more space. Good um, good thought process there from Daryl Morey, and I think that's largely worked out. But the Sixers got better this year because they became an elite defense again. I mean, their offense, I, I don't know. I, I looked at it the other day. It is a little bit weird because the offense is statistically better than it was last year. But because the offense of numbers are just jumping up across the league, I believe as of a couple of days ago, the Sixers were 13th in offense this year. They were 12th last year. So their offense, you know, according to like the league ranking, actually hasn't gotten better this year. Now it's it's a lot better when Embiid is on the court, and that is what is important. The you know the, the starting lineup last year was an absolute cluster. You know what? Um, when Embiid is on the court, so I don't want to say that it's you know the entire team's offense has gotten worse. In a lot of ways, conceptually, has gotten better. But they have Curry and Green, and their defense has gotten better. You know, like we're gonna we're gonna beat people up from 2019-20. We're gonna play smash mouth offense, bully ball defense. The Sixers defense has gotten back to the elite ranks, playing an all bench unit with Shake Milton and Furkan Korkmaz and and all of these people. So I, I think like whether that's Dan Burke, you know, the defensive coordinator, whether that's Embiid, I, I think a ton of credit has to go to. You know, in addition to Embiid, Thibel, and Simmons, just just their contributions on like a night in, night out basis. But like, you know, you, you kind of have to be elite at one of the two things. And, and for the Sixers, the the game plan for them has always been good offense, elite defense, and they got back there despite making those moves. So I would say that is the most uh, positive, surprising development for me. I thought they'd be good. I didn't know they'd be great. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, to your point, uh, last year they had a 10th ranked half-court offense. This year, 15th, despite averaging 0.2 points per 100 plays more in the half-court. So the league has gotten better in the half-court. The Sixers have stagnated, drops them across. Their success is attributable to their, their defense, very much so. And the defense has been significantly better. Uh, it was solid last year, but it was not great. At no point was it ever really great. And they have been great night in and night out, especially in the half court. You know, we've, we've spoken a lot about their transition defense and their struggles in the half court. They, uh, they, they're, they're stingy. They are. And that was sort of going to be my, um, takeaway too, from a team perspective that uh, it feels weird saying this now, considering the last week, the consistency they played at night in night yeah. out, even when you factor in, you know, they're, they're traveling again. Um, that was something that was so bad last year. And when you add in the fact that, yeah, they have fewer plus defenders, you know, you start listing off the plus defenders on his team. Yeah. Joe and Ben Matisse, all three of them in the def- all, all defensive team category. Then you've kind of got like Danny Green's pretty good, he, but it's good in a very he, specific a role. role. Right. We just talked about how not only can he not defend Jimmy Butler and the star or like go back to our last podcast. And we're like, the one thing he might be worse at than defending stars is chasing people off the ball. And we've, I mean, that's come up here in the last few days. But so he's a, he can contribute on defense, but he's not a lockdown by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Tobias is okay. George Hill is pretty good, but he's, he hasn't he's been, been here for a cup of coffee. Yeah. They don't really have all that many plus defenders to Dwight hold Dwight is up. pretty good. Dwight, and honestly, when you start looking at it, I think their half-court defense with Embiid on the court this year versus last year is actually worse. I'd have to double-check that. It was worse as of not too long ago. It's that Dwight, 
has anchored a bench unit that has been very good defensively. Um, now, Dwight, I think is gonna we're going to have some concerns with him in the playoffs, especially with teams that can pull him out of the paint. But as a regular season player, he's been fantastic. And, you know, shoring that up has been a big uh, deal for as good as it really is amazing. So t- two years ago, you had Greg Monroe, who didn't help you at all on either end of the court. Last year, you had Al Horford, who helped you a lot offensively, but they weren't good enough defensively. Now you've got Dwight, who helps you a lot defensively, but they struggle offensively. But my point is they have overachieved, I think. I don't want to say overachieved, but they have achieved a very high degree defensively with very few overall plus defenders. That's great. The effort level up until this past week has been my biggest uh, surprise. Uh, You just didn't know, in part because Joel last year was very up and down in his effort, in part because the team just had nights where, especially on the road, where they didn't look engaged, didn't look like they had a real game plan or purpose. Um, so to get that night in, night out was was probably my biggest surprise. And a big reason why they achieved what they did in winning the top seed in the East. And my second point kind of jives in with that, because it was the defense during this stretch that drove them. When Embiid went down, for them to go like 7-3 and three during that stretch with the league statistically the best defense, during that time, Simmons missed a lot of those games too. I mean, that shit was unheard of in past years. That would have never happened. And I, I get it. Like the Lakers didn't have LeBron in some of those games, but they were killing a few teams in there. So for, you know, to, to weather the, the Embiid injury and for it not to just be like, what, what did we say before? Like, you know, four and six, five and five, just kind of hold the fort down. No, they, they extended their lead in the Eastern Conference during that time. That was a great Tobias Harris stretch for a while there. Shake Milton played really well, and their defense was awesome. Tony Bradley, you know, he'll get a ring if they sure. uh, if they if they do the the deed and win the championship. But uh, yeah, I just think like the, the way they've handled adversity this season. A lot of teams have had it, whether it's COVID or injuries or whatever. And the Sixers probably. They probably missed about an average number of games. They haven't been slaughtered like some teams like Boston and maybe Miami at the beginning of the season. But they, you know, they had the COVID scare and Embiid got hurt for a while. Um, and Simmons has missed a decent amount of time, too. They have they've handled it better than than pretty much every team. And, and part of that is just because their defense outside of this past week has been awesome. Yeah, so. Getting back to what I was talking about, um, I I just looked it up. So they are they they give up 106.8 points per 100 possessions this year with Embiid on the floor. Uh, that is in the 93rd percentile. Last year they gave up 104.1 with Embiid on the floor, which was in the 94th percentile. So defensively with Embiid on the floor, they were statistically a better defense last year, which makes sense. You have Horford, you have Richardson. That wasn't the end where uh, we they needed to be a second ranked defense because we knew their offense was going to be a struggle. This year, with Embiid off the floor, they give up 109.3 points per 100, which is in the 82nd percentile. Last year, it was 113.1 in the 33rd. So when Embiid has been off the floor, they are much more competitive defensively. That has helped them um, you know, remain competitive, uh, You know, be that elite defense that we expected them to be last year. We will see how that plays out in the playoffs. So I do, that does concern me a little bit, in part because, and this gets back to my disappointing aspect of the team, the offense just hasn't been good enough. And if there's any kind of regression in the playoffs because teams are able to pull Dwight out or make him defend in space or put him in a, a, a spot where he's uncomfortable because of the higher skill level in the playoffs, if there's any kind of regression in that, and look, 
you're not going to ask as much of Dwight in the playoffs because he's going to be playing a very limited role. Um, but we saw how 10 minutes a game can can ruin a playoff series. They need to be able to remain competitive when it beats off the floor defensively because the offense has just not been good enough. And when you look at it, you've got Embiid having a career year, an MVP caliber season. You've got Tobias bouncing back and having a career year as well. You still look at it and they're a 15th ranked half court offense. There's, and you added an offensive player in Seth Curry, an offensive player in Danny Green. You add an offensive player in the draft in Tyrese Maxey. And there's just, it, it is, I, I don't entirely know, outside of Embiid post-ups and face-ups and, and going to Embiid, how you generate good, consistent quality looks in the half court. And that is part, we, we talked about this last time in the, po- in the podcast, where there's so many shots. Take them. I, I, it drives me insane because this team does not generate good quality looks. Um, the offense still scares me. I worry about Tobias Harris against an elite defense in the playoffs. <laughs> He's I worry got about, a lot to prove. <laughs> I worry about Ben Simmons against an elite defense in the playoffs. I worry a little bit about Joel Embiid. Not as much, but I think if those two players struggle, then there's going to be so much more attention on Embiid. The rotations are going to be tougher. He is going to be asked to do a lot more. Um, it's sort of like the defense. There's very little margin of error if, if Joel Embiid struggles even a little bit. I'm not sure how they pick up the slack. Um, that is is far and away my biggest. Uh, I mean, half-court shot creation. We spent like two years talking about not having any shot creators. You really still don't have many perimeter shot creators. We've ignored it a lot because Joel Embiid has been incredible, but uh, in the playoffs, that scares me. It's not George Hill either who is afraid to shoot. Um, yeah. that, that That is a thing right now. We'll see how that goes in the playoffs. We yeah, only look- get point guards who are afraid to shoot. That's all. I think once you go through once you go through uh, security at Philadelphia International, that uh, that magic spell washes over you. Confiscate your jump shot. Yep, exactly. So I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now with Embiid on the floor, 119.1 points per 100 possessions offensively, 92nd percentile. Um, They are minus 11.1 when he steps off the court, which is about as drastic a fall off as a player gets. In the NBA, and like on the one hand, that's cool because Embiid's going to play a lot in the playoffs, so that that is pretty cool. But I I do, it's not exactly how we thought it was going to go. Like we thought, Doc Rivers, offensive coach, he's going to make things smoother on that end of the court, and it really hasn't been the case. You know, Tobias, that really hasn't affected the team's offensive output. You know, his improved play. Ben has definitely stagnated on that end of the floor. It's it's been weird. I I did not expect it to be an elite defensive team with the moves they made. I thought the the improvement would come on the offensive end, but really it's just been Embiid on, on the offensive end. Which hey, look, I, I think if he is healthy and he is playing at the level we saw in the middle of the season, Embiid is pretty good. Like that could win you a few playoff series at least. Um, but yeah, it's it's not how we thought it was going to turn out. Yeah. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Um, and I mean, a lot, a lot is riding on Tobias because he's just the only one with even a facsimile of the skill set that you need outside of Maxi, but Maxi's not ready. Um, Tobias has to be great, not solid, not 18 points on reasonable efficiency. Like he needs to really up his game in a playoff. He's got to be like 24, 24 points a game that are like the other team feels, you know, right. <laughs> they, right. They're like, um, oh shit, this guy, we, we cannot handle this guy one-on-one right now. Yeah. No, he, he needs to attack mismatches when he gets them he needs to attack pick and rolls when he can he needs to launch he needs threes. to shoot semi-open threes he needs yes to shoot open threes uh they need not a and lately you've gotten a good version of tobias he hasn't been great here since that start they need him to be great yeah uh just because they don't have anyone else who can really do it they don't have anyone else who can really do it all right so, indiv- so indiv- you, let me let me do my disappointment from a from a team standpoint and this goes into the uh, the playoffs a little bit. The, the, the one thing I have been disappointed in, we, we've harped a lot on the lack of a center option behind Dwight Howard, or beside Dwight Howard, that can shoot a little bit. The, the one thing that I think the Sixers could regret, I'm not saying they will come playoff time, is the lack of experimentation in the regular season, where, you know, they, they, they've really set the template where they play this all-bench unit, which... Look, it allows that starting unit to play more minutes than any high-minute group in the league. So I get it. It's really frustrating when they suck. But in terms of like maximizing wins, I don't think playing the all-bench unit has been a travesty by, by any means. Uh, but what, where it has disappointed me is that I, there's going to be a point in the playoffs when you can't play that group anymore. I Frankly, I think it should be proactive, and you shouldn't be playing an all-bench unit game one of the playoffs starting then. Um, but but I just like when it comes to small ball, maybe mixing in some zone, just trying different things on the offensive end. It, it feels like they, the Sixers have kind of mastered what they are good at in the in the Brett Brown terms. They have mastered vanilla. Yeah. You know they they have their game plan and they are very good at executing it. I just wonder if they could have experimented a little bit more 
when, so when a playoff matchup comes, when a team takes X away, they're able to toggle to a different, you know, style of play, rotation, player, whatever. I, I don't feel like we have seen that quite as much this year. Yeah. Doc with a lot to prove in playoffs, too, after what happened. I mean, any coach coming off of getting fired has a lot to prove. But Doc coming off of the way that playoff series ended at 3-1 to one collapse, he has a lot to prove. So a lot of people with a lot to prove for a, a team that um, <laughs> yep. won the conference. All right, so in terms of team, um, wait, an individual success, uh, individual positive takeaway that we didn't see coming. Go for it, Rich. That I didn't see coming? I mean, it's crazy because I don't feel like, you know, Tobias with this recent backslide, but that part of that might have been because of the injury that he's dealing with, the the knee injury. Um you know, the, the really the only person who I feel like has exceeded my expectations wildly is Joel Embiid. I, I just think the way he was scoring earlier in the year, like when you saw him, if you notice the uh, the Sixers sometimes like they'll show a shot of, of a close up of them like walking down the court on offense, and he's looking at Doc all the time, and all he does is he he kind of extends his arms out um, like this, kind of like almost like he's about to hug somebody. That is their sign for delay. He wants the ball at the top of the key at the free throw line to create a ton. And he's been awesome from that spot this year. And whether it's, you know, the the step back jumper against Utah, that was certainly a highlight. But I'm even going back to like those Miami games earlier in the year where he's taken one dribble pull ups on on dudes and he's embarrassing. And and that to me is going to be the key come playoff time, because you saw in that Miami game last week. okay, like he's amazing at posting up. And that's going to be pretty effective. But with the way the Sixers don't have shooters, kind of the way post play is gone, teams can take that away. Teams cannot take away throwing the ball to him at the free throw line. Like he can he can operate from there. He can see the floor completely. And that's going to be the key for the playoffs. So it, as, um, as obvious as it is, Joel Embiid, his guard-like, his Dirk-like, whatever you want to call it, moving that game to the perimeter and diversifying his offense – that's number one for me. Yeah, it it, it has to be. Um, I mean, you just look at, at what he was shooting in those shots last year. Uh, he shot 30, ooh, I lost it, where to go? 35.5% on shots between 16 feet and three-point line last year. 35.2% the previous year. He shot 50.4% this year on those same shots. And at one point, I think that was up near 60%. So he's hit a yeah, little bit of a regression That's gone here. down. Of late, uh, but still 50% uh, over the course of a season is tremendous. He's one of the best mid-range shooters in the game. And when you are a high-volume scorer and a high-usage player, having that shot in your bag makes you unguardable. That's what, I mean, Kevin Durant has made a living off of those. It's very tough, really outside of James Harden, impossible to be a high-volume, high-usage player on only threes and only shots at the rim. Even if you're 7-2, and Joel Embiid's strength and skills and versatility, you need that shot. Otherwise, you're going to be get, you know, sort of like tricked into or, or convinced into taking bad shots elsewhere or high turnover um, possessions, high turnover post-ups where you can make negative plays. So to have that in his arsenal has certainly been front and center of his elevation into an MVP caliber player, along with a more consistent defensive focus than he had last year. Um, so I think, yeah, it, in terms of, of positive takeaways, and again, that is something where early in his career, he showed a lot of touch on that mid-range shot. 
I think we'll expect it improvement to come in time, and it's something he's been working on for a while, to actually see that become and turn him into this completely unstoppable force of nature. It is, it is why you have significantly more optimism about this team and an upcoming playoff run than you ever had in in his career. He's just a different player. And also he's healthy, which is a no small no small fact as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it would have been impossible to go anywhere other than Joel with that question. Um, I will say I think Tobias deserves an honorable mention uh, in in that regard. And also Danny Green. Like the the way Danny Green is able to um, add value as a very, uh, frankly, to have that much value and not be able to dribble is really impressive. <laughs> the way he's able to move off the ball, get himself open, uh, the threat he provides. Dan and and you go back to one of the predictions we did make is that Danny Green would be killed, but he's actually useful. I I had high expectations for Danny Green, for the most part, and it's tough to say it's coming off of that Miami game, uh, as my cat is trying to claw at me while I wave my hands while talking because I'm a hand talker. Um, but even as somebody who had high expectations for Danny Green, I think he has exceeded them. Uh, the the and quite frankly, just the team's overall ball movement to make that extra pass to find someone in the corner has been has been good in that regard too. So yeah, I would, I would give an honorable mention, honorable shout out to both Tobias Harris for the improvement he made. And the, I mean, quite frankly, just the effectiveness he has had shooting off the dribble as well. It's funny that the Sixers two biggest takeaways, positive takeaways are people shooting mid range jumpers. But for this season, it has largely been the case. And then also a shout out to Danny green as well. Who's been really good. Danny green, the, uh, to, to get a player as valuable as him in that Horford trade, that Horford trade was nice, man. They didn't give up a lot draft asset wise. And, you know, who knows what they do with Danny Green after the season, what his market is like. But to get a very useful starting player who fits really well with uh with this group, they're uh they're fortunate that the Lakers wanted Dennis Schroeder, I guess. That's uh that's how that works. Uh and just like Danny Green, you know, there are a lot of games throughout the season that uh that you think back to when a team clinches the one seed. Shout out to him. That one Knicks game at Madison Square Garden where he was making the stupidest shots I've ever seen in my life. Like, look, they would not have clinched the they would not have clinched the number one seed um without that game. Yeah. So there's that one. I, one more honorable mention, just because we knew Matisse Thibel was a good defensive yeah. player. I mean, this some of the, the games he has put together this year have been just insane. I, I knew he was good. I feel like his on ball defense has gotten a lot better this year. It's just so unique for a guy to uh, to affect the game on the perimeter defensively like him. Like they just the the consistent action, how he sees just steals and opportunities that other players do not get. Is uh, look, we know about his offense, but I I, I don't know. I I just think at the end of the day, like that defense is insane. No, his growth into a legitimate all defensive first team caliber player uh has been has been big i mean they have to have three of those that they can throw out there you didn't know what you're going to get from him this year and you still don't know what you're going to get from him on the offensive side of the court but he has been uh it's so rare to take a strength a entire reason you're in the league and ramp that up to another level that's tough to do he has done that um now just make an open shot please 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 uh yeah for sure um all right so moving on to what has disappointed you for me, it's got to be Shake Milton. Um, I mean, his season, when you look at it as a whole, it doesn't look too bad statistically. 12.5 points uh, was his shooting 
45% from the field, up up 34.5% from three, three assists. But I think the defense has been disappointing. The decision-making has definitely been disappointing. He couldn't shoot for two-thirds of the season. And you had a player who a lot of people were talking about six-man contention. I was. You were. I said no because I thought he was going to be elevated to the starting lineup for a player (laughs) who showed so much last year in the bubble and right before the the coronavirus halted the season. Uh, For him to have shown so much and for you to have so much. I mean, look, this is part of the Tobias problem, too, where he is disappointing in part because you put a lot of pressure on him to be something the Sixers have ignored for years. And if they were going to look like a normal offense, and again, we go back, they're a mid-pack half-court offense. For them to look normal, you needed Shake Milton to be the surprise of the league, to grow from this late second-round pick into a very legitimate starter who can give you that half-court creation, who could be an off-ball player, also play some pick-and-roll, play some dribble handoff, and give you all these different looks. And he just hasn't been that consistently this year. He hasn't been... I mean, he had times where he's been awful, but as a whole, his season has been a solid. He's a rotation player in this league. He's going to remain one. He's still on a good contract, but you were very much looking for him to take a jump and to become something you didn't expect. And that didn't happen this year. The shooting has been just a disappointment too. I, you know, there's two levels to it. Like he's not making as many shots. I feel like open shots as he did in past seasons, but you know, kind of our initial reaction to him it's just hard for him to get separation, man. It's, you know, he, he drives in the, how many times does he fall down driving yeah. into the lane, trying to do that? Uh, and he's pretty good making that lefty move. layup when he falls down too, but you'd be for, prefer if he was up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even, yeah. And not even on the, the layups. I'm talking like just making a between the legs dribble. He's moving too fast for his body. And it's, uh, yeah, that, that has certainly been disappointing to the point where, look, I, I think he's going to be a big part of their playoff rotation. But, you know, over the past couple of weeks, Tyrese Maxey has looked at least as good as him. Um, yeah. You know, I don't really trust Maxey's shot in the playoff setting either. So, and I don't really trust a rookie in general in a uh, in a playoff setting. But, you know, the, the idea that Shake could struggle in the playoffs and Doc inserts Maxey is not crazy to me right now. Where I think at the beginning of the year, I thought Shake would be completely like penciled into that uh to that spot and I don't know you might uh you might erase it I'll uh, I'll just add to I don't know what you thought you were gonna get from Ben offensively but it's hoping for more yep look there was that great stretch in the middle of the season um you know I don't want to belabor the point because we've talked about it a lot but I would say sixty percent of his season just not good enough yeah. Probably more than that. That's probably underselling it. Yeah, no, he he certainly deserves a mention. And also, I, I can't not mention, but in terms of, of positive surprises, got to throw Dwight in there. As much as we, and yes. like, I got to mention, like, you know, we kill him. I actually think we're pretty, pretty positive of Dwight. We're very concerned about his fit in the playoffs. But in terms of what he is giving you, he's far and away exceeded what I expected. And again, you go back at the beginning, we called him overqualified for the role, but the fit was a concern. Well, even saying that he was overqualified, he has exceeded our expectations in that role. He's been very good. A lot of the reason that they have improved defensively is that they have a legitimate anchor on the bench units. That has been key. Um, That along with Thibel's growth and a couple other things, but that has been very key for sure. Um, He's been very good. I I still have my reservations, especially offensively, but a little bit defensively because of the increased skill level in the playoffs and increased perimeter focus. 
but in terms of what he has brought in the regular season, far and away exceed my expectations. Um, even with the technical fouls, uh, <laughs> yeah. which are a little bit comical, as long as he doesn't pick them up in the playoffs, it's it's fine. That's well, fine. I think he's going to pick them up in the playoffs too. But sure, just don't pick up seven. That's all. That's all. Look, you, you take the bad with the good with him. He's not an elite player anymore. But I, I think when you also add in just the energy he brings on a yeah. on a consistent night, like again, I'm not trying to judge his intangible value that that he brings and all these things. It, it it seems like him and Danny Green, not only have they come over from the Lakers and brought like an element of veteran wisdom, which is funny to say for Dwight, but they've also brought a lot of energy, the two of them. And and I like that that certainly has helped the Sixers this season. They they have been there haven't been a ton of nights this week excluded where uh where they just haven't had it. And uh and I think Danny Green and Dwight, who have played a lot of games. They have not missed a ton of time, the two of them. Like they they played in that Denver game when Maxi took thirty nine shots or whatever he took. Thirty three shots, I forget, whatever. Uh but they've been good. Yeah. All right. Um not sure I have too much more. We will know a lot more about the playoff potential the next time we report record a podcast. Anything else you uh you, you think worth mentioning here, Rich? Fix the shot clock before the next game. Oh my god. Hat huge hat tip to uh, Matt Cord, who was he stopped a little bit through. Uh, they got somebody from the, the, the benches to do it, but he was announcing the shot clock over the loudspeaker, announcing when it hit 15, 10, and then counting down from five to zero while doing his normal PA duties. Um, please fix that shot clock before uh, the playoffs start. Uh, even, even, even I, look, ideally before Sunday's game against Can't, Orlando. Cancel Sunday's game if if you don't fix the shot clock. That would be preferable, certainly before the playoffs start. That was, I didn't, like, I know it happens. Certainly in lower levels of basketball, it happens pretty frequently. But this is the NBA. You don't see that every time. Uh, so hat, pr- props to Matt Cord for making that work. But yes, please fix the shot clock. But yeah, that, that's about it. A little bit, uh, like I said, a little anticlimactic because we've been waiting for this clinching to happen for a while it is still very very rare in the history of this franchise for it to happen uh, enjoy it we will have plenty of time to fret over the playoffs and the matchups but thank you rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon see you man